Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. We are going to study Matthew chapter 12. Our daily Bible reading plan goes through 1 Samuel 21, Psalm 56, and also Matthew 12, but we don't have the time in just 30 minutes to be able to go through it all. So on your own, if you're following our daily Bible reading plan, which is really the goal, feel free to read those scriptures on your own, observe them, apply them, and ask God to give you the grace to live them out. That's the whole purpose of us gathering together. It's to encourage each other in the Word. It's to encourage each other to study God's Word. And I'm going to make some observations based on my study of Matthew chapter 12 today. So let's go ahead and pray as we open the Bible together. Father, we do thank you today for your Word. And we pray just simply that as we open it, you would give us your understanding and revelation. We desire to know you. We desire to know what your Word says. And we long to walk it out, to, to literally live in obedience to your word, Lord. That is our heart. And so help us to take what is written here, and Lord, would you write it on our hearts and help us to walk it out in a very practical way. Give us those tools that we need to live out a spiritual life that pleases you, that ministers to the world around us. This is what we desire, and we thank you for leading us today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 8, and we'll pause and take a look at some things. And here is what the Bible says. In verse 1, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those that were with him, but for the priests alone. And he says this with a question mark, for the priests alone? Or have you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? And he's talking about how the priests still continue some of their priestly duties on the Sabbath. And he's questioning them, making them think about what they're saying when they're not applying the same principle to everybody. Verse 6, but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you have known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. What a powerful statement. If you were just to say it a little bit differently, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you condemn the innocent. And they do that based on their interpretation of the law. So you have these guys that are observing Jesus and his disciples. And, and let's be very clear about this. It says that they observed them. So there's no way that they had binoculars, all right? They are following along. They didn't have cars. They didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. They didn't have binoculars. They didn't have live stream, okay? What they had was they had this indictment mentality where they were following Jesus and his disciples for the specific purpose of being able to accuse them. And that's exactly what they do. So during this time, Jesus and his disciples are walking along and they're hungry. And so they're walking through fields. 
and the normal practice, which is allowed by, uh, which is allowed in the law, we see this in Ruth chapter two, and we see this also in Deuteronomy 23, 25, that it was actually acceptable on every normal day to glean a field. So if you're hungry, you could glean the field. But Jewish tradition, actually Pharisee tradition, was that if you were to glean a field, it was say, the same thing as working in the field. Now that was their tradition, but what does the law actually say? In Exodus 31, 14, here's what it says. It says, do no work on the Sabbath. Now we know the Bible prohibits preparing food on the Sabbath, which we read about in Exodus 16. That's the story of the manna that came down and God did not allow them to collect manna or that type of bread substance that, was, that would fall upon the ground on the Sabbath. You cannot collect it on the Sabbath. You need to collect two days worth the day before so that you'll have enough to eat on the Sabbath. You can eat on the Sabbath, but you cannot uh, prepare food or collect food on the Sabbath. That would be considered work. Exodus 35.3 says, light no fire on the Sabbath. And that's another way of saying not to prepare food. They would feast on the Sabbath. Jewish tradition prohibited them from fasting on the Sabbath. It doesn't mean that people wouldn't, but this was tradition. And here's what we have, the conundrum of what is the difference between tradition and what the Bible says. Now, let me remind you, there's only a handful of scriptures that actually describe what a person is to do or not do on the Sabbath. There's not many there. It's under 10. And, and usually they repeat themselves. So when the Bible says, do no work on the Sabbath, and if you were to work on the Sabbath, I mean, the, the punishment for that is very serious. And in one passage, it says that you'll be put to death. If you're to ignore the Sabbath commandment and just to do what you want to do, they, they were saying throughout that the word of God was that you would be put to death. So it's very severe. And we can understand, we can appreciate why the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders would want to fully and completely understand what work was. But what happens and what can happen so easily to us is we can take the word of God, the command of God, and build our own tradition around it. And we've got to be really careful that we don't allow ourselves to do that. And that's exactly what had happened. In the Mishnah, the Mishnah is the oral tradition. Some say it goes all the way back to the time where Israel was exiled and in Babylon, which many believe that's where the Pharisees come from. The word Pharisee is separate ones. So the Pharisees maybe have their origin in the Babylonian exile, and they wanted to separate themselves unto God. They come out of that, and they begin to devote themselves to the law. They want to understand what the law is and how to practice that as they set their lives apart to God. This is a noble thing. There's nothing wrong with, with this. In fact, we see it as people wanting to be true to God and his word and to be holy, set apart for him and his purposes. But when you read the Mishnah, which I have a copy over here in my, on my shelf, there's 39 additional commands in the Mishnah that are based on the Sabbath. Now, I want you to think about that. Maybe there's six passages in the Bible about to, that give definition to the Sabbath, but there's 39 additional like just real clear details in the Mishnah in addition to what is already written in the Bible. So you can imagine the confusion that they had when they're dealing with the Sabbath. And that's actually what we're going to read about today. We're dealing with the issue of the Sabbath, and we're looking at that in verse 1 through 8. And then we're also looking at it at verse 8 through 21, because we're seeing something about this particular, this particular generation. And the Pharisees, we have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, 
the religious leaders, the scribes. We're, we're talking about people that genuinely in their beginning and in their origin really want to follow God and his word. But what we're seeing is, is that they're indicting Jesus, Jesus Christ and his disciples, not based on the word of God, but based on their interpretation of the word. And this is what we read about. So there are stipulations in the word about the Sabbath. Do not prepare food. Do not light a fire. Do, do, do no work. But they're gleaning from the fields. Deuteronomy 23, 25 gives them an allowance for that, not to work, but to as they're hungry. And so they're saying, hey, this is work. You are breaking the Sabbath. And that's actually not the case. So what do we do when tradition trumps the command of God? What do we do when the, the things that we've built in terms of doctrine have actually usurped what the Bible says? Now, here's a principle that I've always gone by, and I think this is actually really important. When the Bible has a level of generality, when the Bible has a level of ambiguity, it's for a reason. In other words, this is meant for us to walk out with God. When it says do no work on the Sabbath, we're just thinking about an actual work day. The reason it doesn't give us all these specific things is because God knows us better than we know ourselves. We like to get down to the details. We want to be the rule followers because, listen, we are rule breakers. So we get down to these minute details and we forget what the purpose of the law actually is. And, and can't you relate to that? If your parents, obviously we've all been sons or daughters, but in my parenting, one of the things that happens is you create this rule, this barrier, and the kids break it like they always do. And then you give them punishment or, and however that works. A lot of times what can happen though, is there can be interpretable issues in your parenting, your discipline and all of that. And so we forget often to give our kids the reason why that this rule is so important. And so they basically just learn to do or to not do a thing. And we develop all of these extra barriers and fences in order to kind of keep this thing itself holy. And we move away from the why. We move away, away from the purpose for which we gave these rules, these guidelines. And the guidelines become a thing in and of itself. And that's sad. When that happens, we don't realize this, but we're moving away from the heart and Jesus in this moment is going to confront their heart. He has no problems with the Sabbath. He's, in fact, he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And he says that in verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, which is, a, is no doubt a claim to deity. Just remember that. When he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm the Lord. I am, he's claiming deity in that particular moment. And this is really important for us because Jesus comes back at the Pharisees and he says this thing to them, which is kind of would, would kind of be offensive. He says, have you not read? <laughs> They're saying, hey, with this accusation, you're breaking the Sabbath, which could be punishable by death. You're breaking the Sabbath. And he says, have you not read to these well-educated, well-trained? And might I add, you can be well-educated and you can be well-trained, but you can also be wrong. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's confronting these well-educated, well-trained people in the law. These are the keepers of the law, the teachers of the law, but they don't understand the law. Just because you know something and you can teach it does not mean you have true spiritual understanding. And this is a great example of that. And Jesus gives these particular instances in the law. He says, have you not read? And he brings up two things. And the first one was the one regarding food and the Sabbath. I'll just read it to you real quickly. Have you not read when David and his, uh, 
his companions became hungry. He entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but for the priests alone, question mark. So he's trying to mess with them. Can you remember in the Bible where it was written, David and his men went into the house of God and they ate the bread that only the priests would eat, the consecrated bread. It's called the show bread that would be put out in the presence of the Lord. And every so often they would actually change out the bread because they kept the bread fresh, the present, the bread of his presence. And that bread could actually be eaten by the priests, but it was holy. And so nobody else would eat this bread. But when he went into the temple, they were famished is what the Bible says. They were hungry. They were starving. And so the priests had no problem giving David and his companions the bread. It was no longer the fresh bread that was put out for in the, within the presence of God. And so he gave that to him, no problem. Nobody had an issue with that. David didn't. The priests didn't. Why? Because the whole point about that bread being holy and the way in which they would present it in, that, in those moments, it was not just about nobody could have it. In, it was, he was saving someone. There's, there's people that were starving and they needed something to eat. And so the priest made an exception for something that was set apart for a specific reason because he was helping people. And this is the part that the Pharisees didn't get. And he also brings up another uh, example that's very similar. He says, have you not read in the law that the, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? And so he's questioning them. Is it okay then for the priests to break the Sabbath rules that you've made up by serving the Lord and do, continuing the priestly duties. Is that okay? So Jesus is messing with them in a massive way. He gives them two examples from the Bible of which they knew really well. And he, used, he uses these question marks. Are you saying that it's okay here and it's not okay here? And they don't say anything to him. It, they're angry. They're upset. And it says here in verse 9, departing from there, he went into their synagogue. They, they were looking for a time where they could capture him. They were looking for a way in which they could indict him, where they could end up killing him. They're angry with Jesus because he is questioning them. They're angry with Jesus because they can't, there's nothing they can say against what he is saying. But the point I want to make from all this is that the Sabbath was holy. The Sabbath, the point of the Sabbath is for us to rest and is for us to reflect God did work on six days and on the seventh day he rested. He created a pattern for us. He created this pattern where we would work for six days and rest on the seventh. Today it's really um, popular to talk about the Sabbath. I have people ask me all the time, how do you Sabbath? What's your Sabbath day? I've never been asked. In all of 21 years I've been a Christian. 18 of that I've been in vocational ministry, 19 almost. I hardly ever have been asked about my Sabbath. Now, these last couple of years, it's become very popular because I, maybe it's that we're addicted to work and, and so we're all of a sudden trying to rediscover the Sabbath. The principle, the point, is that God himself demonstrated the way that we were to live life. Work six days and rest on the seventh. I would actually tell you that the Sabbath can be a very confusing thing in the day and age in which we're living right now. People have all kinds of rules and regulations and Jesus is like, be careful that you don't create these rules and these regulations when the purpose was to rest and to reflect. It was to worship God. It was to give yourself to God on that day and to set it apart as holy because God is holy. And he, he knows our frame. God knows how we are and how we work. 
And there has to be something about us where we stop doing the main thing that we do in life, whether it be working or whatever, even to the point of preparing food and spending all of our time. They actually spend a lot of time preparing food. I want you to stop all of that. And I want you to tune into God, tune into family, and do that in such a way where you can have fellowship and focus. And this is something that in our world, in their world, we're just not good at. You know, some people actually, Proverbs talks about, they're lazy, right? There's this laziness. There's a part of us that wants to be lazy. And he's not really, Sabbath is not another excuse to be more lazy than we are. Sometimes I'll tell young people this, and I only say it to them because I'm discipling them, not because I think young over old, but... I'll say to them, in order for you to Sabbath well, you got to work hard. You know, I mean, you work for six days in order to take that Sabbath rest. I think a lot of times we forget this. The purpose and the point was to have a day of rest, not to make it this specific thing where there's fences around it and nobody can get into it. And I mean, I have watched people just finagle this Sabbath thing to where it just doesn't make any sense. And that's actually kind of what I think they did. I think they did the same thing. I think they created this this specific fence, this barrier, and this is how it worked, and this is how it looked, and we don't mess with it, and if anybody breaks it, you know, and the way that we say the 39 different commands of what working means, then, you know, they're, they're liable to die. I mean, it was almost like they had to know the minute details of how everything exactly worked. And I would tell you where there's a level of ambiguity, there's a reason for it. That's where we walk this out with God. And nobody can, you can't indict another person on their Sabbath. You can encourage them, but there's this kind of this weirdness that comes when we look at each other and go, are you Sabbathing? Are you resting? Well, it looks different for each one of us. For me, when people ask me, it's like, maybe I'm staining a, a, a dresser. I'm, I'm separating myself from my typical work and I'm working on some other things in the yard. Is that acceptable? Is it not? You got to walk this thing out with God. See, that's the thing. Is it about work or is it about shutting down your typical work? What is restful? We've all got to walk this out with the Lord. The key is we want to learn how to Sabbath. We want to learn how to rest before the Lord and focus on Him and family. But you have to walk that out. I've learned in my time that as I've sought to Sabbath, I've sought to rest, then it doesn't look like what it looks like for other people. I'm just not the person that's going to sit on the couch and read a book all day and take a nap. That's just not what it looks like for me. And I think sometimes the assumption is, is uh, when we start to look at an issue like this, we use it to judge each other. That's not the purpose. Use it to judge yourself. The Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath is to be with God. It's to be with family. It's to have fellowship. It's to stop one thing. It's to focus on another. That's the purpose. Jesus is confronting their interpretation of the law. He's confronting their lack of compassion, therefore, as a result of it. They've lost the why behind the law. When you lose the why behind the law, it just becomes a rule. And God becomes this rule taskmaster, and we become lawbreakers. It's just not the heart of God. We, we twist and we distort who God is when we actually go through this type of process. And we've got to be really, really careful that we don't allow ourselves to do that. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to just, to just stay in a religious mindset and, and to hold things to a specific way and then, and then follow that rather than enter into a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit because of Jesus where he leads us and he guides us and he convicts us and he encourages us and he instructs us. 
Now, I would tell you, actually, you can have decent uh, restrictions on the Sabbath, but you still got to follow the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows where we're making excuses. The Holy Spirit knows when we're trying to get into something and get out of something. So my, my goal is not necessarily just to build a world that I can, a monotonous world that I can fit into. It's to learn how to follow the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the law is written on my heart and it's written on by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit lives in me. He's written his law in my heart and he's going to lead me. <coughs> Excuse me. He's going to lead me in the instruction of the law. And I think today, even though we have the Holy Spirit, we have the law written on our hearts, we don't really, we're not listening and dialed in and tuned in. And we've got to get back to a place where we're listening, we're dialed in, we're tuned in, we're living on the Word, we're living by the Spirit, we're allowing the Word that is written on our hearts to, to we're led by it through the Holy Spirit, and we know what that looks like. And so that's, to me, why it's really important that when exceptions come, um, when we're trying to minister to somebody, or we're trying to do something, or we need, we're feeding somebody, it's not about the rule itself. It's about loving God and loving people. And all the commandments hang on these two commandments, to love God and to love people. And the Pharisees have forgotten that Jesus confronts that. Well, we continue with our understanding of the Sabbath here. And I just want to read this because it actually connects to what we're talking about today. This is Matthew 12, verse 8. He says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I said already that was a claim of deity. Verse 9, Departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And again, they're questioning him. They're trying to indict him, accuse him, so that they might accuse him. And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, he will not take hold of it and lift it out. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Why would Jesus even need to ask us this question? I mean, seriously, why would he have to ask the question, is a man more valuable than an animal? Well, he had to because they would treat their animals with more compassion than they did with, for people. That's just sad. So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored to normal like, like the other one. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. See, they were so angry that he healed someone. They were so mad because he broke the rules. Well, what were the rules? The rules were that you didn't practice medicine on the Sabbath. That was a work. That was a job. You don't practice medicine on the Sabbath. The only exception that they made was if you had to save a life. So if you had to save a life, you could do that. But here's the thing. Jesus confronts them again on their version of Sabbath. They used to actually dig holes in the ground because they had sheep and they had various animals that were used for food and gleaning and all kinds of other things. They had oxen. Uh, that would help plow the fields. And the way that they would protect their animals is sometimes they would dig holes in the ground and they would, they would be able to catch wild animals that would mess with their sheep and would mess with their oxen. And so sometimes one of their own sheep would fall into one of those holes, these pits that were covered up. And so that's the picture that Jesus is giving them. is like, hey, on the Sabbath, every now and again, one of your own animals will fall into the hole that you've dug Will you not pull them out? Will you not throw a rope down and pull them up? Of course you will, because you're more compassionate for an animal than you are for people. And Jesus is seeing somebody that's wounded. He's seeing somebody that's hindered. And he's trying to prove a point, that God cares about the people, and that's not why he made the rule of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath was for people. 
It was not against them. He was helping us. He was calling us to rest and reflect and focus on him and fellowship and so on. He was not calling us to see who was going to break it and die and who wasn't. And that's what they had turned it into. So he confronts them again that in your developing of rules, you have once again proved just how corrupt a human heart can be. That you have made animals more important. You have shuck off your empathy and your love for your fellow man. You no longer see a person that is hurt, that is wounded, that has an issue. You no longer see them um, in a place where they need your help. You see them as cursed by God, but you'll look at your animals as more esteemed. He's confronting them so seriously. This is why they were angry is because this took years for them to get to this place. Now, I'm not indicting the Jewish people whatsoever. I'm just saying that in the religious leaders, this is what they had believed and they they had taught this. And I think the people were confused by it. I think the Jewish people were confused by what their leaders were teaching, trying to hold them to. Didn't make sense. And that's what can happen. We can develop religion that is not based on the word. And that's when I refer to religion in a negative sense. I know the word religion doesn't always have a negative connotation, but when I do, I'm always talking about it in this way. I'm always reflecting on religion when I'm saying it negatively. I'm saying this is what it looks like. It looks like us going beyond the word and making up our own rules, making up our own commands. And when we do that, we're going to lack compassion for people. We're going to distort the word of God. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to distort the person of God. The traditions of man give man a filter to see God in a way that God actually is not. God is not the taskmaster in the sky. He gave us the law because it's perfect and it's righteous and it's good and it's for us. Remember this, God created you and I and and then we, we broke that simple command of abstinence to not eat from the tree. And when we ate from the tree, our eyes were open and we knew good and evil, but we could not restrain unrighteousness. So we would know good and evil, but we would continue and persist in our unrighteousness because that sin sickness all of a sudden gripped our hearts right after our disobedience to God in Genesis chapter 3. God then in his love and kindness sends the law in Exodus 20 through Moses and starts to help us understand again who we are, how we were made. And the importance of that, the law is perfect. And so he sets up this law so that we could understand God, but that we could understand holiness, that we were built and created and made for the glory of God and not for our selfishness, not for our own desires and wants and pleasures. And that's what our sin sickness will do. So God puts his law in place. We obviously break his law, which is what we did by eating of the tree in the beginning, And he does that to prove and to show us that we need a savior. We see this later in the writings of Paul where he says that the law was a tutor showing us, leading us, teaching us that we needed the savior. The law helps to confront that part of us that began, that opened up in sin sickness to this rebellion and to this disobedience and to this self-centeredness. The law has a purpose, but in their wanting to follow the law, they made their own law. And that's very serious. And so Jesus, again, with the healing here, he confronts their inability to have compassion on their fellow man. And here's, I suppose here's where I want to close today. And that's this, is that Jesus came and he confronted, he confronted the Pharisees in this moment, but he confronts all of humanity throughout the gospels in our inability to have compassion for others. 
See, he, he reduces the law down to this. He doesn't dismiss the law. He just says all of the law can hang on these two commands, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's these two things. It's all about loving God with all of our heart. We give him absolutely everything. And as we love God, we are capable and able to love others because there's this divine exchange in our relationship with the Lord. For those of us that have received Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And through our loving God, we begin to love other people. And where that is not the case, the love of the Father is not in us. 1 John makes it extremely clear, no matter what we know about this, no matter how much we memorize this, no matter how much we recite this, where there is a vacancy as it pertains to loving neighbor, there is, there is an absence of the love for God. And that's a scary thing. What we want to do is instead of build our own religions, build our own worlds, build our own mindsets, we want to build our life on the word. We want to have humility when we come to the word of God. And we want to ask the Lord, to give us divine love for him and for others. It's always been kind of an amazing thing that the Lord says love, to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And guess what? You can't even love God without God infusing you with his Holy Spirit to be able to love him. Like we cannot fulfill the command of God without the power of God, without the Spirit of God. It's not possible. And so God calls us to something, but he gives us the ability to do it. If we don't yield to God's word and his ways and really humble ourselves to be empowered in order to fulfill what he's given us, even in simplicity, we will build our own fences, we will make our own rules, and we will not be the people that he created us to be. And we do that. We do that with our religion. That's why we judge people so easily. Instead of looking at ourselves and the way that we rest, reflect, pause, focus on God, and have fellowship with others in the Sabbath— we, we filter it by looking at other people. We're always looking outside of ourselves to see how everybody else is doing. One of my definitions of self-righteousness is to be more concerned about the repentance of another person rather than our own. To me, that's just a very sad place for us to be. And we just want to move away from a self-righteousness perspective, a prideful perspective, and just look to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, will you teach me your word? And will you help me to live it out properly in simplicity where I'm just loving you and I'm loving people? Because to me, that is what it's all about. That's what Jesus said. I just love it how he knew how, how simple it had to be for us. Like we try to make it so complicated. You know, that's what educated minds will do. I'm not against education, but I just feel like so many people in their wanting to be smart and get ahead of others and really show off and build their own rules. They want to complicate everything so that Common people like myself don't get it, won't get it, can't live it, and we constantly feel subject to smarter people or others. When in reality, the Spirit of God has written His law on our hearts, and we can follow His Word, we can follow His Holy Spirit, and He'll lead us to loving Him and to loving others. And that is what God will do. That's what Jesus confronted, is that they lost their ability to do the very thing that sounds so simple. And their building of 39 extra commands on the Sabbath, they missed the point of the Sabbath. Now, whatever the issue is that we're looking at in the Word, let's not miss the point. Let's not forget the why. Let's go back, study the Word, ask God to put it in our hearts, but not so that we can use it as a filter to judge other people, but so that we, we can live in the faithfulness and fruitfulness of the Word and experience that with our loving, with our loving Father. That's the purpose. That's the point. God has so much for us as we study his word and as we follow the leading of his spirit. He has so much for us to learn and to grow into.
And sometimes we've got to deconstruct the lies that we've learned, the things that have been told to us, the doctrines that have been put on us, the falsehoods that are in there, so that we can build the life that looks like Jesus. That's really the life that, that we're following. It's the life of Jesus. Not everybody liked how Jesus lived, but we love how Jesus lived. And we can admit that we don't always look like Jesus, but we want to. And so that's what we want to pray today. We want to pray that our life looks more like the life of Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, we do thank you today for your word, and we do thank you for the example. God, we do appreciate and really respect those, um, even among the Pharisees and people in history, that they really sought to consecrate their lives. They, they sought to be holy. And in so doing, Lord, they did what we do. We, we develop our own rules, our own commands, our own game to play, and we go so far from what you taught. We go so far from the spirit of the law, the heart of the law. And God, we confess today that your law is good. It's perfect and it's right. We're the lawbreakers. But Lord, we thank you that Jesus came, fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, that when we yield our lives to you, you send the Holy Spirit, you make us born again, you make us alive to you, you write the law in our hearts so that we could live loving you and loving people. And we're not trying to oversimplify it, Lord, but we also don't want to overcomplicate it. So Lord, we thank you that you're leading us and you're helping us to do what you said is most important and actually fulfills all of the law. And I pray today, God, that wherever we're distorted, wherever we're confused, wherever we're making up things, wherever we're making religion a negative thing, I pray, God, that you could deconstruct those things in our lives so that our eyes would be open, that we would see people the way you do, and we would love them just the same. Help us to be like Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, God bless you today. Thank you for joining The Daily Word. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.